the level of student interest is incredible. There are so many people who kind of believe, oh, you know, this generation isn't as into radio. They don't have as much interest. We have found the opposite to be true. Welcome to Radio Survivor, the sound of strong communities. My name is Paul Riesmandel, and joining me is Eric Klein. Hello, everybody. It's wonderful to be here. And Jennifer Waits, who joins from San Francisco. Hello. Greetings. And today, we're going to dive into a success story. Yeah. A success story in college radio, and, and I want to say a co- in radio that is that is community-oriented in addition to being uh, college radio. Uh, we're going to follow up with KUNV, which is at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. And about a year ago, we had received news that the station might be turned over to the management of the local NPR uh, public radio affiliate. Actually, nearly two years ago. Nearly two years ago. That. I'm sorry. Nearly we, two years we devoted, ago. We devoted a nice yeah. podcast to, to exploring that issue. And uh, long story short, it would have uh, meant a reduced role for students at the station, if not an elimination. It was not clear how, how yeah. little the role would become for students at the new station. But it didn't happen. And so now we're going to dive in to why and how. And who. KUNV stayed. Uh, under the management of the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. And on top of that, grew student involvement yeah. in the process. And and we hope that maybe this is a bit of a, 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 if not a textbook, it's a good case study for other college stations and university stations out there that are not currently under sort of imminent threat that the license is going to be sold, but maybe looking for that playbook. Uh, what can we do to involve students more if, if student involvement yeah. is a question? Or what can we do, what comes out in this interview is is sort of work through how to train students and get them involved and make it part of their, their professional development right. and part of their sort of academic training. There's lots of great advice here. And along with the University of Nevada radio station, we also spoke with uh, the News and Public Affairs Director of an Fordham University in New York City radio station, and together they've both made a really uh, clear and helpful case of what are the values of student radio in general. Like, yeah. why, why, why care at all in 2017 about bringing students on the air when you know what we've seen here on Radio Survivor is a uh, is that are there are certainly some universities where uh, where radio stations are undervalued. They don't the value of what a what student involvement in a station is is not being recognized, and here we have two uh, very special guests who are going to um, make the case. If you need help, if, to, if you need notes on how to make that case, uh, stay tuned. Well, and and for me, it was interesting. I actually visited WFUV earlier this year, and, and and was a uh, was impressed that it's a public radio station that has really substantial student involvement in meaningful ways. And that was something that I haven't heard much about in public radio. Um, And in speaking to Frank Muller from KUNV at University of Nevada, Las Vegas, I learned that that was really sort of one of the guiding stations in his mind as he sought to increase student involvement at, at his public radio station. So that's not something we often talk about on the podcast is 
how are students involved in public radio stations that are located on college campuses? So I think that that's another interesting aspect to this conversation today. It's also a message maybe to public radio stations who choose to have minimal student involvement. I think they both make a case for why students should be involved with public radio stations. Yeah. Absolutely. A real radio survivor success story coming up on the show. We have with us on the line Frank Muller. He's a general manager of KUNV at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. Hi, Frank. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Happy to uh, join you guys today. And we also have George Bodarkey. He is the News and Public Affairs Director at WFUV at Fordham University in New York. Thanks for joining us, George. Hello. Thanks for asking. And, of course, Jennifer Waits is here. And the reason we've brought everyone together is to talk about how Frank and George collaborated in helping to keep KUNV in student hands, in university hands. So, Jennifer, maybe you want to pick it up from there. Yeah. Um, thanks so much for both of you coming on the show. I was pretty excited to learn about your collaboration, which Radio Survivor podcast listeners will probably remember that that we discussed KUNV on a number of podcasts. And, and then I actually visited WFUV earlier this year. So it's one of these interesting situations where I later learned that the two of you have actually worked together mm -hmm. and sort of wanted to hear how you both ended up connecting and what led to, I guess it was probably Frank reaching out to George. So uh, George and I actually met, um, Oh, was it like 2011, I think, George? Yeah, I think so, uh, when I came to Vegas to do a training for public radio uh -huh. news directors. So, George, uh, at that time, I, I had the opportunity to talk to him about things that they were doing at WFUV and how they were engaging students, which I thought was was incredible. It, it was really fascinating, their, their kind of mentorship program that they had there. And I always thought, you know, that would be something that I'd love to implement uh, at KUNV. Um, and then... Uh, a couple of years ago, there actually going back uh, more than two years ago, though it, it kind of came to a head two years ago, um, there was uh, some discussion with regards to the purpose of KUNV and also um, a, uh, um, uh, a bid by the Crosstown Public Radio Station to assume control and management of, of KUNV and kind of a, a joint operating agreement. The uh, university administration both considered their proposal and also uh, proposals that we uh, put forward uh, and eventually uh, came to the conclusion that uh, we could develop internally a, a business plan that would better suit the needs and um, uh, kind of the, the advancement of the goals of the university. So... They asked me to create a business plan uh, in conjunction with both internal and external sources uh, to uh, help move the station forward. And there were three goals that really were, were put before us. The goals were to grow student engagement and student opportunities, uh, to grow audience engagement and, and uh, listenership, and to grow financial support and financial sustainability. 
So we uh, worked with some local individuals initially in creating the business plan. Uh, but I kind of, from that initial discussion that I had with George, that, that really was my, my guiding star for student engagement. And I've, I've always admired what they've done at WFUV. And so after we put the, the business plan together with the, the folks that we worked with uh, here, we um, reached out to, to uh, a couple of people a uh, gentleman at uh, Northern Michigan, and then also to George over at, at WFUV and asked them, uh, because we were impressed by their programs, asked them to to look at our business plan and to give us feedback. And George was incredibly thorough and, and, and really gave us some some great insight and, and helped us as we were finalizing that before we took it to our, our Board of Regents. So Frank, could you explain a little bit about what KUNV has traditionally been like and the role that students have have played leading up to these discussions and leading up to the moment where there was the possibility that programming was going to be taken over. Yeah, they're at, sure. the, at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas College radio station, KUNV. Sure. So um, as a Reader's Digest version, really, uh, the station started primarily as a student-operated radio station in, in uh, a turn, uh, initially a, a carrier current station in the late 70s and then launched as a broadcast station in 1981. Uh, there was a mix of community and student programming up until the late 90s. In the late 90s, uh, due to several different issues, um, which there's kind of fault on multiple sides on, on that, uh, what ended up happening was the students were essentially kicked off the air um, and, and out of the building, unfortunately. And so as a result, uh, there was very little student involvement from the late 90s until uh, about the mid-2000s uh, when they hired my predecessor as the general manager. Uh, he came from a university where students were very involved and he wanted to increase student involvement. And so uh, he put started putting effort into that. Um, at that point in time, the station was actually located about a mile off campus. And so uh, getting students engaged was a little difficult. Uh, in 2009, we moved back on campus. And one of the first things we did um, was we launched a HD2 channel uh, with the intention of making it completely student programmed. Uh, that became very popular. Uh, so much so that the initial suggestion from the management agreement was that the university would maintain control of the HD2 channel, but would turn over control of the FM channel. Um, we really felt like there were opportunities for students to be engaged in different ways across those two channels. Uh, the HD2 channel is totally student-run and, and can be a little more freeform, um, and provide students with a, a great opportunity to to get a student voice out there. But we felt like, especially looking at stations like WFUV, that there were opportunities to give students professionally mentored experiences through the FM channel where they would actually be uh, working hands-on with our professional staff and uh, creating excellent products that uh, would benefit our audience. And so that's that's really where we how we've gotten to the point where we're at right now. So so George over at WFUV, I know there is huge a huge amount of student participation. Could you describe the number of students and the types of roles that they're playing at the station at Fordham? 
Sure. On any given semester, we have about 70 to 80 students who are working at the radio station, and they work across departments. So they are very active in our news department, our sports department, our music department, programming, underwriting, front desk. Really, they serve in all capacities here at WFUV. Um, and they get very structured training. So we have training in three areas in particular in terms of workshops, the news department, the sports department, and the engineering department. Uh, other positions uh, they can uh, apply for directly, like in our underwriting department or our marketing department. Uh, but they really are holding pivotal roles uh, across the radio station in great numbers. I would say if you add up the number of students that we train every year, we might train more than 100, um, but we end up with, uh, like I said, 70 to 80 who actually stay with us. And I mean, in thinking about the number of people at WFUV, I would guess that students then are a pretty high percentage of everybody who's there. Yes, we have about 30 full-time professionals and uh, like I said, 70 to 80 students who are here uh, all, all the time, including in the summer. Uh, it's a work-study job for them. So they're, they're paid for their time here at WFUV. So, uh, yeah, uh, the students far outnumber the professional staff. Paul, Paul and I just, uh, wow, we just, our jaws just dropped uh, together. 30, 30 work-study students, uh, 30 staff members. You said 30 full-time staff members. 30 full-time staff members, yes. And so uh, WFUV then, I mean, what's that programming like? What, what is it, what's the listening like? So people can uh, well, put it in Well, and it's in, in New York City, right? It's, it's in New York City. Uh, you know, we're a 50,000-watt NPR, National Public Radio Affiliate Station. We're a triple-A music format station, so we pride ourselves in new music discovery. That's our primary mission on the air and uh, in our online programming, but we have a very active uh, news and sports department uh, as well. So uh, while our, our primary programming is music, uh, students are largely on the air in the capacity of news and sports journalism. So we have on Saturdays, for instance, one-on-one, -on -one, which is New York City's longest-running uh, call-in talk um, mm -hmm. sports, sports show. Uh, we do newscasts, and we have two public affairs programs. Uh, our, the students are on the air, again, in news and sports. Our music hosts are all professionals, with the exception of uh, one Irish show, uh, Cal and the Gale on the weekends, which is students-hosted. Um, so, yeah, uh, that's uh, pretty much our, our programming. Again, it's, it's, it's a music format station, the beauty of that for us, quite frankly, in the news department is because we're not carrying the magazines, all things considered, in a morning edition, and we don't have those holes to fill every day, because we're a two-person full-time uh, news department, uh, that we can do documentaries and uh, various podcasts or long-form reporting without the pressure of having to fill the holes. So it really provides us more opportunity for hands-on mentorship and training, because we're not necessarily up against those those daily deadlines of, of filling the holes in the magazines. Wow. And, and so for, for listeners who may not be familiar with uh, the radio format jargon, uh, AAA is adult album alternative. Uh, it's very indie rock, I think, is really the way people would look at it uh, these days. But it's it's interesting to me that you make that balance between uh, music format station, but also uh, a significant amount of news and public affairs programming. That's yes, cool. we have. Yeah, we have. We have uh, seven newscasts a day: three during morning drive, one at noon, and then three uh, during afternoon drive. And the afternoon drive, uh, at noon, and the PM drive newscasts are all student. And I, I really try not to use the word student, quite frankly. Mm. Um, I, I call them young journalists because they are. That's what they're serving as when they're here. They're, they happen to be students, and I always say that about our radio station. We uh, are a small news department, two-person, uh, full-time department 
we just happen to have a staff that is largely made up of young journalists, uh, you know, not, not because they, we train them and, and they're out there covering stories side by side with all of the other media here in New York City. So when they're out there representing themselves, they're representing themselves as a WFUV reporter, not as a student from Fordham University. They just happen right. to be a student from and, Fordham University. And any individual with the intention and the training and, and then the, the privilege to put in the hours uh, doing that work, that's a... Uh, that's that's a special uh that's a special vocation these days you know most people um are part-time reporters and so yeah they're definitely uh they're definitely legit reporters if they're doing it like that no they are and it, and it starts for us it starts off with a workshop so in the fall semester i, I teach a, a seven-week workshop where we run through all of the fundamentals so this is specifically in our news department uh the seven-week workshop then they intern with us in the spring semester and then they're eligible for uh, paid employment in the uh in the fall. So really they're in the news department and, and a similar uh, model exists for our sports department where they're getting a year of training um, before they move into paid em- em- employment. That's really nice. Radio journalism is uh, near and dear to my heart. And I feel, I feel it's a really important set of skills that can translate into any other of the many uh, constellation of journalism vocations. So that that's good to hear. Yes. Yeah, uh, we're on the line with George Bardarki that uh, he's the news and public affairs director at W. FUV in New York City at Fordham University, and we're also joined by Frank Muller, of general manager at KUNV in Nevada at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. And the voice you just heard was Jennifer Waits, our college radio correspondent, who brought this segment together because it's it's a uh, explain the occasion, Jennifer. Explain why this story sparked your interest. Oh well, actually, I had talked to Frank at KUNV because we had covered the situation at that station. And it was an interesting story because it was a case where a station was potentially going to be taken over by an outside group. Yeah. And which would have meant that managed- uh, would it would have meant uh, probably, or at least we you know, we could assume um a reduction in student involvement, if not the complete loss right. of student involvement in the station. Right. And and people spoke out and and he worked to increase the number of students at the station. And, and as a result, that uh, takeover, you might call it, didn't happen. So we're always looking for stories like that where, you know, a happy ending to the story. And, and I was following up with Frank about how that came about. And in the process of that, he heard or read my story about visiting WFUV and said, oh, I want to let you know that they actually played a big role in in my thinking about how to bring in more students. And so that's how we decided to bring both of both Frank and George on the podcast because hopefully some other stations might learn from from these types of examples which which leads me to a question I have actually for George about what initial advice did you give to Frank about engaging students at a station where maybe engagement wasn't as high in the past? Well, I think I'm trying to remember, Frank. I mean, I'm sure I, I, t- I talked about the importance of just building the infrastructure. I mean, once you have the infrastructure and the training programs in place, uh, and essentially what you're then, then doing, especially when you, you, you start to train um, you know, underclassmen as freshmen who will then be 
you know, senior employees by the time they're, they're uh, upperclassmen and seniors who can help you train. So really, once you develop the system, it, it should work pretty well where you're consistently, um, you know, bringing in new people who are then helping you to uh, train the other people who are coming in and understanding, you know, what roles they can, they can best serve in. So once you establish the infrastructure uh, and the training program, it should, it should, it should operate quite smoothly. Um, Frank, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that's probably where I started with you. That really was, and that's kind of the uh, one of the things that's been beneficial is that the uh, idea that really piqued my interest when George and I first discussed it several years ago was how uh, students, um, you know, really were were they would learn under other students who had previously been trained, and then those those students who really stood out moved into those paid positions where they then took on a mentorship role underneath the direction of the professional at the station. And I mean, that, that's really what first sparked my interest in it. And I, 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 when I learned about that, I thought, wow, this is, you know, this is a great sustainable program where you're always going to have student opportunities. You're always going to have student interest and students feel very rewarded when they're not only, you know, engaged and involved, but they're able to mentor other students. And I think this, the fact of the matter is, I mean, we all, as you know, I'm an educator. I mean, I think we we all know that you get better at your craft when you help others learn. And I think we certainly see that with our uh, young journalists as they uh, help help others. They're just getting better and better at their craft. It's just such a um, you know a, a wonderful opportunity to see people as they start as freshmen. By the time they're seniors, I mean, they're just as, as seasoned as as most um, young professionals in the industry. Again, they just happen to be maybe you know, 20 years old at that point, but they, um, you know, they're, they're doing remarkable work and, and it's resulting in the awards that they're winning here. I mean, they're, they're winning awards, uh, consistently, uh, from year to year, uh, on average, we win between 28 and maybe 35 awards from various journalistic organizations. And they're not only winning awards competing against other student journalists, they're winning awards competing against other professionals, uh, in the industry. And I think that just speaks volumes about the, the work that they're doing. Um, you know, Again, the fact that they happen to be students means means nothing once they have the proper training, and and we also hold them pretty accountable here. We we have a contract that we have them sign, um, you know, that really goes, you know, walks them through with what, what our expectations are, so they understand that, so they won't let extracurricular activities or um, you know other things interfere with their work schedule. I mean, if they're supposed to be on a newscast, they can't call us up ten minutes before and say, you know what, I have. Uh, uh, you know, outdoors club that I have to go to. So they, they, they understand that this is a, you know, a, a serious commitment. And I think we not only teach them the, the fundamentals and, and beyond when it actually comes to the craft, we're also teaching them work ethic. And I think that's what they're also getting here. And, and that's the beauty of it. So uh, many of our folks are across the system. I've been here for almost 17 years. And uh, many of our young journalists are, are all all over the place from NPR to, to CBS to CNN. And that's really where the rewards come in. Uh, and, and I'm a product. I can also tell you that I happen to have been a young journalist at WFUV many, many moons ago. I spent 10 years in um, commercial um, broadcasting and I've been back here, like I said, almost 17 years. So I can speak to the program from, uh, from, from personal experience as well. That's great to hear. And, and Frank, um, there at, at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, 
How did the administration respond to these plans? And and was the fact that you had consulted with uh, George there at Fordham University at WFUV, which is a very well-respected station, did that did that help at all? Did that give you a little bit more gravitas, if you will, with the administration there at uh, UNLV? I think, you know, it, it did, you know, especially when we cited a couple of stations. So there was George over at, at WFUV and also uh, Chad at Central Michigan. And uh, we we said, you know, here we've had a couple of programs that are doing well in their own environment who have a great amount of student engagement who are financially successful, who are uh, getting great audiences and they're winning awards, you know, and that there's certainly potential here for us to, to grow towards that. Um, and uh, the, the university um, was very supportive of that. Now, I do have to say, and, and I think this has been one thing that's, that's really helped us, is that from the very beginning, um, we had support from the internal uh, leaders within our college. And so, uh, the the chair, the director of the journalism department, the dean of the college were, you know, uh, were were in our corner from the very beginning. There never there was never any any convincing there. Um, the administration within the university uh, was all fairly new, and a lot of a lot of the plans and and things were put together under under previous leaders, and so. Uh, the the new members we we had a new president we had a, a new uh, provost and you know as these new leaders are coming in they're just kind of finding out about it and so they you know were very thoughtful and they really studied all sides of the issue and tried to decide on something that would be best especially for us as a university so UNLV has a um, a plan moving forward to become a top tier university and we've we've you know been recognized in kind of our leap leaps forward in research and in the products that are coming out of the university um, in uh, uh, what's been going on in fundraising what's been going on in in student diversity and student involvement in fact we were just named as the number one most diverse university in the United States by US News and World Report so you know the, the it's an exciting time at UNLV and the administration liked the excitement behind this concept of having a university-controlled license that really was creating excellent programming, serving a large audience, and had a, a great number of students engaged um, in a way that would would be uh, lasting, have a lasting, meaningful impact for them. Frank Muller, general manager at KUNV. I was wondering if you could just. Um put a bird's eye view up for us of what it means to have student involvement at your radio station. You described how in the nineties through a series of unfortunate events, uh, students were no longer contributing to their college radio station. And then your predecessor, uh, you told us, um, was able to bring students back into the building. And then you've built uh, something even bigger for students to act as journalists. What happens at a radio station when, when students are, are back you know, for me, and the nice thing was, I I mentioned my predecessor, and uh, I was the operations manager under him for about five years before he retired, and then I was fortunate enough to to move into the general manager role. Um, so I got to to be involved in his vision and share my vision. For me, um, 
I, during my college career, I participated in, in some way or another across three different college radio stations. And while I enjoyed the experience, um, I spent 10 years in commercial radio after that. And I felt like I didn't have as meaningful a time in college radio as huh. I could have or should have had. And so it, it didn't, you know, in fact, I ended up starting to work in commercial radio while I was still in college and, and, and you know, attribute a lot of my the things that I gained of real value to that time in commercial radio while if, I was in college. If you don't mind me asking, uh, when was that? That was um, my first college radio experience was in 93. Uh, I started working in commercial radio in 97. Mm. Um, but I, the reason I was at, at three colleges was just kind of moving around. So it was a couple of junior colleges and then uh, my, my, where I got my undergrad at BYU. Sure. So what, what was the big difference that uh, you liked this professionalism? Uh, or, or commercial radio experience uh, better than your college radio experience? You know, it, it's really, it was having the opportunity to be engaged in a way that, um, uh, that I was it, with my first two college radio experiences. It was kind of the traditional, you go on, you create a show and there's very limited oversight. Just don't do anything that breaks the FCC rules and, <laughs> you know, yeah. it, it stay within format. Um, in commercial radio was the first time that I got the idea of, Hey, there's rules, you know, and there's things that radio stations have to do to be successful, which includes, you know, staying sometimes within a genre, um, you know, knowing who your audience is and how you appeal to that audience, uh, recognizing that you have an interesting mix of, uh, advertisers and commercial radio that support that radio station, uh, that you're trying to make sure that they have a good experience, but you also want to make sure your audience has a good experience. And, and then of course, all the, the kind of operational back end of things. Uh, so one of the things, and George brought it up about WFUV and, and we've implemented the same thing here at, at KUNV. One of the things that we really want to make sure was that in every aspect of the operations, the radio station, students would have professional experiences we have been very fortunate to have members of our staff who have legacy backgrounds. For instance, our, our underwriting director who we just hired, um, she was a former VP with iHeartMedia uh, over there. One of, I think, like four VPs in the entire company. She oversaw their LA market and, and uh, also oversaw revenue management for the entire company. She brings a wealth of knowledge and experience and she just loves that she's able to mentor these students and, you know, share all of those experiences that she's had and know that that, that knowledge is being passed on and is going to be useful. Um, and these students are eating it up. That's Frank Muller, general manager of KUNV at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, here on Radio Survivor. We're also on the line with George Bedarki the News and Public Affairs Director at the college radio station WFUV at Fordham University in New York. And we're talking about what it takes to build up student involvement at college radio stations and why it's worth the effort. Here on Radio Survivor, we talked about KUNV and its then uncertain fate as a college radio station back on episodes 27 and 28 of the program. You might have also heard reference today to the notion of carrier current, which is a bygone style of delivering radio 
often on college campuses used in the middle of the 20th century. We covered Carrier Current on episode 51 of Radio Survivor. You can find links to all of these at our website, radiosurvivor.com slash podcast in the show notes. We are a listener and reader-supported outlet devoted to the diverse and underappreciated world of community and college radio. Learn more at radiosurvivor.com slash support. And now, back to Frank Muller of college radio station KUNV at the University of Las Vegas, who is telling us about a co-worker whose previous professional experience was in mainstream commercial radio. And the great thing is, is that she engages them, and this is true of, of all the members of my staff, but as an example with her, she engages them in a way where they're creating, they're, they're putting together proposals for clients. They are going out... Uh, on calls with her. They are uh, creating social media ideas. We did, um, in the spring, we did a, a record store day um, where we collaborated with a couple of, of local record stores um, and uh, with Audio Technica. So we gave away gift cards to these record stores and we gave away turntables. And um, the students were the ones who put together the creative for that. And she worked with them to reach out to Audio Technica, to reach out to these record stores. The feedback we got was incredible. One of the record stores told us it was the best record store day they'd had in 10 years. That's I mean, amazing. You know, because I, I feel like with record store day, I don't hear enough about radio stations actually collaborating with record stores on record store day. So that's, it's perfect that, well, it that was you thought a, to do that. It was a blast. I mean, they, we put a turntable in our studio and we highlighted that we were playing stuff off of vinyl again. You know, we're like, we're taking a break from the computer. We're going to pull out some vinyl. And, and uh, it was just, it was a great time. Yeah, that does sound really wonderful. I want to ask the question though, again, like, uh, but y you know, students weren't there before and then they came back. And I'm, I'm right. curious, like, what was gained? Because you, you've just described a, a functioning, happy radio station, which is a wonderful and rare thing, perhaps, in 2017, where people are doing uh, work, where people are making good radio together. And that in itself is a, is a good thing um, and, and, and perhaps unique to college radio uh, in this day and age, or, or at least more so than it, than it was in previous decades. But I'm wondering, like, what else was gained? by bringing students back on, on the job? I, 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 excellent. It's an excellent question. And you're right. I didn't address it very well. Um, you still I think, told a great story. <laughs> I think, you know, that the, there's a couple of things that, that in that story kind of exemplifies it. First, we're giving our professionals an opportunity to do more than just operate a radio station. They are, mentoring the next generation of media professionals and that for our professionals here is something that's very engaging when we open that underwriting director position part of the thing that we said was you'll be engaged with students and so you know they weren't uh, the people who applied for the job weren't just applying for the job so that they could be the underwriting director of a public radio station right. they were applying for the job so that they could teach students while they were being the underwriting director for a radio station. That's how that changed in every aspect of our organization. The other thing is, is that 
you know, when you have students involved, they bring a certain energy. So they have an excitement. This is all new for them. Yeah. You know, for many of them, this is a, a, a whole different and exciting experience. And so they want to try things and, and they bring new ideas. And, you know, I mean, we, we may all have careers in radio and we may be able to draw on our experience. And I think that's a very valuable thing. But I also think having new energy and new thoughts and new ideas, especially in, as George brought up, this new media environment where we need to be considering what's happening across multiple medias, that is that is very exciting. It's a very, very uh, cool new aspect that we've been able to add at the radio station. Yeah, I'm very excited to hear you guys speak. It reminds me of something I've felt for a while now that that because radio journalism is such a a, a writing based form of of reporting, but it's still also um, uh, uh, similar to video features the the recorded voices using media. I, I feel like a, the the that radio journalism skills are really at the at the bottom of what uh, journalists need if they're going to be working in media uh, to do good reporting. There's so many wonderful sure. things to learn from radio. So I'm I'm tooting radio's horn here on on the radio survivor program i i agree a hundred percent because that's one of the things that went into the business plan and it has been kind of something we've discussed and i know george does an excellent job of this is the idea that you you know narrative journalism is really what people care about you know when you when you have people's stories when you're telling individual stories then you're 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 grabbing attention, and that doesn't matter if you're doing that in radio, or you're doing it online, you're doing it on television, wherever it may be. When you're able to tell stories, that's what matters. And um, you know, with with this, with kind of, I mean, and we're just developing. Like at, at Fordham, he says they have a small news department. That's true with two people. Uh, right now, we don't have a news director. We're in the process. That's part of our business plan is we're growing. We have five full-time staff. We're planning on, on adding another three members to our staff over the next couple of years. Um, but you know, one of those will be a news director. However, we're not letting that hold us back. We've already got three student, uh, paid student news reporters that we have on our staff that are starting to tell those stories and getting out there and doing that both on our website and over the air. That's a valuable experience. So it would be great to get from from you, George, some some advice that you might have for other public radio stations who maybe don't have as many students involved. Do you have particular advice for them? I mean, I do. I mean, I think involve students. I think there's a lot of trepidation sometimes because it's work. And I think people sometimes fear the amount of work that's involved with training students, and that's why they don't do it. But I think that if you, again, put a system in place, develop a training program, for me, it's Wednesday afternoons from 2.30 to 4, uh, Wednesday afternoons for seven weeks from 2.30 to 4, and then, you know, they, they come in the newsroom and they shadow and they start to learn. But once you set people up for success so they can stand on their own two feet, uh, then you have people who are, you know, producing uh, content uh, for you 
uh, that is really remarkable. And I think that I wouldn't be concerned about the, there might be some work up front. I mean, there's, there's no question about that. Um, but I think that if you are, if you learn to incorporate it into your day, incorporate that training into your day, it's going to make you better at what you do. Um, and it's also going to provide amazing opportunities for, for the next generation, which is our responsibility, I believe. Um, and it's, it's really going to benefit your station because you're going to be able to, uh, produce more, um, with, uh, with that talent. So, uh, I would say start with, start with, you know, again, start with the infrastructure, build a training program, even if it's an hour and a half, once a week, bring them in the door. Um, uh, those that, uh, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll start with a workshop and I'll have 35 students. And at the end of the workshop, I'll end up with 10 because they weed themselves out. But you know what? Those are 10 committed people, like 10 people who really, really want it, who are doing, going to do a fantastic job. Um, so start, start with, start with an easy training program. Um, you know, start small if you need to, you know, one student, two students, and before you know it, because when I started here 17 years ago, I had five students um, who were in my first workshop. And then I said, sometimes I have as many as 35. My newsroom had, uh, I think, five people working in it. Now we have at least uh, 15 on any given semester. So we've grown it. And we, and, and we have a very, very structured program with a uh, you know, a schedule of when people are working and it, it, it works. And I, like I said, if you have the student talent around you, I would capitalize on it because uh, it, it really benefits uh, both parties, uh, both the, the young individual and, and the station. George makes an excellent point about when, when he's talking about students being involved there is that the, the student, the level of student interest is incredible. There are so many people who kind of believe, oh, you know, this generation isn't as into radio. They don't have as much interest. They're into you know, whether it's podcasts or Spotify or whatever it Facebook. may be. And they, yeah, they don't care about uh, traditional radio. We have found the opposite to be true. As we have offered, you know, different student trainings, the, the, each, it seems like each semester we have more and more students who want to get involved. We cap our training class at 30 students and uh, for, for our on-air training. And we do a couple of different trainings, kind of like they do at FUV. Um, but you know, we cap it at 30 students and we, you know, we're running up against the cap because there's that many students who just want to jump in. They want, they, they, they love knowing that they can still be on the air and they love knowing they can be on the air on a traditional radio station. Yeah. Yeah, I think we also, I'm sorry. We also formed some collaborations with other media in our, um, area to, to expand opportunities, uh, as well as to provide some additional uh, mentors. So I formed a relationship with Norwood News, which is a local uh, newspaper here in the Bronx, as well as with BronxNet, which is our public access station. So we do a collaboration now where we're doing deep dives um, into various issues impacting the Bronx community. And those pieces are across platforms. So our journalists are doing, you know, a thousand word articles for Norwood News. They're doing three and a half minute packages uh, for um for BronxNet and for WFUV. But what I got in that collaboration is I have an editor at Norwood News and I have videographers and editors at, at BronxNet. But what I also have found that that does for me is that it, it brings in students who might be kind of uh, concerned that radio is in a future, but it's also, you know, I said, you know, they're, they're, 
we're, we're not just radio, of course, anymore. We're doing everything. But because I'm such a small staff, I needed to involve outside partners. And that was also another um, excellent opportunity for us to expand the training uh, and to, to expand the reach of our content. So uh, it's, uh, just going back to uh, advice, I would say if you, if you have those partners in your community, you could also utilize them if you're a small staff um, to, to help you to, uh, to train and also to provide opportunities um, and uh, incentive uh, for people who might not just be interested in radio, it benefits us to uh, to be out there um, across platforms as well with different outlets. That's great uh, to hear how you know these these real concrete tips on on how you can interest students, you can harness their interest, you can grow that interest, and then I think that that advice about bringing in outside partners uh, who can also both, you know, benefit from students, their labor, their interest and their, and what they produce as well as of course the students will benefit from that kind of interaction. So thank you very much. That was uh, George Bordarki, who is a news and public affairs director at WFUV at Fordham university. And we have also been speaking with Frank Muller, who is the general manager of KUNV at University of Nevada, Las Vegas, talking about um, how they joined together, how George gave Frank some advice and helped him to increase student involvement and therefore also avoid a outside takeover of the station there at University of Nevada, Las Vegas. Uh, thank you very much, both of you, for joining us. And thank you, Jennifer, for putting together this great call. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Um, it's really inspiring to hear both all of these stories about how to engage students. So I, I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much, George and Frank. Jennifer, thank you so much for uh, reaching out to Frank Muller at KUNV and George Bordarki at uh, WFUV at Fordham university. Um, and it's such a great story to hear about this kind of collaboration that uh, folks at college radio stations and, and, and in this case, you know, a college public hybrid are, are working together. They're calling each other up on the phone and they're looking for advice and sharing so freely. That's one of the, I think the wonderful aspects of, of college and community, not commercial radio right. is that there really is a lot of information sharing. And often I think people in their individual stations forget this. It's easy to forget that there's hundreds of other stations, a lot like right. yours, <laughs> all over the country and elsewhere and that you can just drop them a line, drop them an email, drop them a phone call. And, and a lot of the time they're willing to talk. They're willing to share. People love to talk about their experiences, their successes and what they've learned. And, and folks will share with you. You really, it's worth making that call. Yeah, I know. I think that's so important. And I mean, that's, I've, I feel like I've said this 10 bazillion times on the podcast, but that's a large reason I started writing about college radio was to get information out there for other stations yeah. to learn from what other people are doing. So, yeah, and it, you know, it can be pretty easy to send an email or make a phone call. Um, you know, conferences are places where people gather and, and can learn from each other. But, but you're right. It can be as simple as just having a conversation. <laughs> And I think there's a lot of lessons here for folks uh, working in community radio, for folks working in, in, in commercial radio, especially maybe smaller commercial radio stations that may not uh, be part of a large, uh, a really large network. Yeah, that um, may not be as lucky as George Badarki to work at a station with over 30 staff members. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, a community radio station with a news department might be able to team up 
with a local college or, or university that has a journalism department that maybe doesn't have a station, you know, and, and provide that more kind of direct mentorship and training. Sure. Uh, be, and that's a benefit to the students because, you know, they can make things that, that will get heard, right. That will not just simply be yeah. assignments that, that could evaluated by a professor or instructor, but that will, that will play out to, to thousands of people and, and, and really, put the wheels to the road in a way that often uh, it feels like maybe a, an assignment in class doesn't, doesn't do. And I, I heard, you know, along with these collaborations that, that George mentioned that yeah, he does those, at WFUB so excited. with, with local, uh, you know, sort of Bronx based, yeah. hyper local internet reporting newspaper or uh, yeah. Yeah. Pa- yeah. That's so and, smart. Uh, public, public television or op- uh uh, public access television. There's, and- yeah, there's so many sites there, and it recognizes, and uh, you know, uh, something which which you point out there, Eric. Right, is is how uh, the skills to do radio are so tied into the skills to do video, the skills to do print, the skills to do 140 characters or whatever Twitter's going to allow now, and social media that they're all related in the ability to tell a good story, to know what is important in the story to lead with what's going to make the most impact and to have that, that sense in judgment about what, what belongs on the air, what belongs in the story and what maybe you need to hold back on in part, just because you may not even know whether it's true or not. Right. All those solid things you learn when doing real journalism. It's such it's, I can't wait for my next opportunity to write a four page radio story based on the news. Like I'm excited hearing Hearing Frank and George uh, talk about students getting that opportunity. I want that opportunity again. I want that opportunity for everybody. And what's great to hear, right, is that, is that you know, you, you hear from George at WFUV at Fordham where they're really well developed, right? Where they have all these, these students involved and they're able to, to hire them basically as student employees. And to hear from Frank at, at, at uh, KUNV and they're just getting off the ground yeah. right with this. So, you know, it, it shows you that it's not because I think sometimes people, and I've heard these conversations maybe at conferences or in small groups where you have one station that's really well developed and they sort of explain what they do. And other people uh, will go, Oh, we could never do that. Right. It's, it feels like, Oh my gosh, you're showing me this model, but I don't know how to get from here to there. How do I get from mile zero to mile 50? And I think that what we see is that there's sort of a path being built here and that what they're doing at KUNV, that they're aspiring to a bit of what they do at Fordham, but they're starting where they are, right? And in, in, in getting students involved um, where they are rather than thinking, oh, all of a sudden. And in and, and the way that, that Frank put it out is he, he, he wrote a business plan. He wrote a plan. And I think sometimes in in community radio and in college radio that doesn't quite happen. I mean, because it feels like it's hard to do, or people put together a plan and they feel like they have to follow it step by step. That it's that it's sort of like an instruction manual, at, or like or like it's the it's the instructions with your IKEA bedroom set. And if you miss one step, uh, the thing won't fit together right, and you have to start over. And rather thinking, well, no, this gives us a path to follow, ways to think about building what we're doing and looking forward. And I know that, that many community radio stations now have have strategic plans. 
And, you know, uh, KBOO, KBOO here in Portland, Oregon is one that has a three-year strategic plan that I've seen and a five-year strategic plan and trying to think how they build forward. And it's not this sort of step-by-step. It's not utterly explicit, but it says, hey, if we do this, then do this and do this, we'll be in a place. And you can think about it this way at your station as well. If we're going to involve students, well, maybe we started off with just a few students that we interview to see if they can be involved and what they can do and interest and we can grow it from there. I would like to read Frank Muller's business. I know plan. we forgot to yeah. ask him for it. <laughs> I know Maybe that'd he'll be really share interesting. It, share it with us because it, I think it could be really instructive. Maybe it's something that he can write for our website, radiosurvivor.com, yeah. uh, where we have lots of stuff in addition to our, our podcast, uh, including uh, Jennifer's weekly reporting on college radio, which turns up every Friday. Jennifer waits. I'm wondering what you, what you gained today by hearing those two wonderful people talk about their experiences. One of my, one of my favorite moments was actually hearing George talk about how we all, I wish I can remember the quote, but we all improve in our craft when we're teaching others the craft Yep. and, and just articulating that, um, you know, it's something from my own experience in radio um, you know, that I've done, I've trained other people and I hadn't, I hadn't really thought about that, that I'm actually probably improving the way I do my radio shows when I have to train somebody else. So it's, I don't know, a simple idea, but, um, I think a really valuable thing for radio stations to think about, especially if they don't have any sort of training program or if they don't have students involved already thinking about it as, something that's going to benefit the station rather than, you know, something that is just another thing that we have to do. A core value of community radio is to, to train mm-hmm. each other, to share skills. Yeah. I think the skill sharing is, is part of that sort of mutual aid that's in community radio, that's in college radio. And, and when I've talked with students who had a great college radio experience, often it is in that training each other and then, you know, being mentored and then having the opportunity to mentor. That was a large aspect of their takeaway in addition to, uh, to being on the air. And that's a little bit of what we try to do and try to foster here at radio survivor. We hope you enjoy it. Um, if you enjoy the podcast and you have not yet subscribed, please do so. So it always shows up in whatever your favorite podcast app is, whether you're using Apple Podcasts, stitcher, overcast, pocket cast, are people still podcast apping? I have think we, people are still podcast we moved apping. into the podcast app free. Future no, yet? we have not. In <laughs> fact, so please, please subscribe. And if you would, would uh, leave a review or click some stars. That helps out a lot. Of course, tell a friend, tell a colleague, tell a fellow radio lover. We'd really appreciate it. And we are a listener and reader supported enterprise. So anything you can do to help us out and help us do what we do as volunteers, we'd really appreciate it. Go to radiosurvivor.com slash support. If you have uh, any interest in in helping us out. Thank you so much to everyone who has helped us out there on, Mm -hmm. on our Patreon if I may say the the brand here, uh, it's just such an honor to to do this radio work uh, on behalf of an invisible community, and to to get to um to get together with Paul Reismandel and and Jennifer Waits every week to talk about uh, things I care about in in this uh, funny media landscape that we call community media. And uh, so I just yeah, I just want to say thank you, and I'm. Very grateful for for having this work to do, and uh, the 
the the few people that have uh, gone out of their way to support the work. Uh, I want to say thank you to them directly. Absolutely, it's been thank really you very wonderful. much. And we want to hear we want to hear from you if you have any comments about anything we spoke about today. Drop us a line. Podcast at radiosurvivor.com. And of course, thank you so much for spending an hour with us. We really appreciate the time that you put aside to uh, listen to our program. Yeah, thanks everybody. Thanks. And now to close out the program, we're going to hear from Radio Survivor's own Matthew Lassar with a segment he calls Lassar's Letter on Radio. Come on in, the music's free, yours musically, W-A-B-C. This is Lassar's Letter on Radio History, and today's question is, did disco destroy this radio station? W-A-B-C, the American Network. are listening to a historic air check of WABC Music Radio, the greatest top 40 music radio station of all time, or at least that's what some folks say, and who am I to challenge the subjectivities? Exciting music, keep listening to WABC in New York, Channel 77, In its heyday in the 1960s, WABC Top 40 enjoyed a huge on-air presence. It could be heard 100 miles from New York City during the day. Because it was an AM signal, WABC also reached most of the eastern United States and Canada at night. But in 1978, a neighboring FM station adopted an all-disco format, almost instantly gobbling up at least 25% of WABC's share. Was disco the culprit that killed WABC? Interestingly, in an interview years later, the station's program director, Rick Sklar, said no. What was going on was a change in technology. The same thing that that originally made radio what it was. Radio is a creature of technology. When TV came along, a new technology, radio had a change. Uh, Conversely, when uh, FM came along, and the government said FM has to have separate programming from AM, you can't duplicate. Another technology came along, and this one was capable of presenting music in uh, a far uh, better way in that it was in stereo, and you could get higher frequencies, you could pick them up, the receivers were of greater quality, and you didn't have the interference and the squeal and the static and the hum associated with AM radios. So there was a new and better way of, of presenting music. To be specific about that Federal Communications Commission decision, in 1965, the FCC ruled that AM stations could not duplicate their programming on a co-owned FM station for more than half the broadcast day, at least for FM stations in big markets. So eventually, music would move over, and that's what really happened. Now, the fact that the year that the majority of the music audience shifted to FM, disco happened to be in vogue, was simply a coincidence. It could have been anything. Whatever music was in vogue the year that the technology shift took place, that uh, would be prominent in people's heads as to, uh, uh, you know, what finally uh, superseded the WABC. Still, Sklar points out that WABC was a unique phenomenon in the history of broadcasting. But look, when WABC was up there, it was up there with 15, 20, 25 shares of the market. 
these little pipsqueaks that call themselves number one today with a five or six share, that's nothing. They're all chipping away a little bit. One one guy's got a 7.6, another a 7.3, and then a big deal. Uh, it's simply a fractionalized FM dial with a lot of people playing music. But disco didn't do WABC in. It was uh, FM technology. I tend to think that the disco killed WABC thesis was fueled at least in part by the huge anti-disco backlash among rock and pop fans in the late 1970s. In reality, this was an example of the huge difference that a government regulation calling for more media diversity made on broadcast radio. This is Matthew Lassar noting that the moment is quite relevant as the FCC considers rules to revitalize AM radio today. This has been Radio Survivor. Thank you all for listening.